stand up for yourself And I'll back you up Cause problems don't solve themselves I'll tell you what Instead of would or could I think you should Draw a line in the sand and stand your ground It's for your own good Life certainly is a journey in terms of ourselves. And in many ways, we're never really just in ourselves. We're, we're part of a, a community, a family, a dynamic. And for some of us, um, we have others that are involved in our life. We have children, um, family members, brothers, sisters, and aunts. So when we start to think of ourselves in terms of maintaining control over the aspects of our life, our feelings and our thoughts and our emotions become all a part of this. And the information and skills for effective communication are very important for us to understand how to be, you know, the best in what we're trying to do with ourselves, with our life, with who we interface with, who we have relationships with. So utilizing the respect of like thinking well, has a lot to do with the beginning parts of habits that we create and habits create behaviors. This is true for how we affect um, others where we are a parent. Um, now, a parent isn't just somebody that has a relationship with you know, their, their children. They also, at the same time, have relationships in a lot of different directions. So the skills that they use, they may find transcend you know the way that they conduct themselves with adults and the way that they conduct themselves with organizations as a parent and the way that they conduct themselves of course with a child i want to welcome you to the voice of families and addiction and we're going to be using the um the the, the book re-entry curriculum merging two worlds which you can find on our website familiesimpactedbyopioids.com and we're actually, in, in this episode, looking at Chapter 5, Life Skills. So what we're going to start to do is we're going to start to take a look at, you know, how well can you kind of look at parenting? And, and that's the purpose of, of this life skill exercise. Because your ability to be a good parent has a lot to do with your ability to be a good you. And then the ability to communicate is everything. Um, how you put yourself into your communication, how you make decisions, you know, even how we manage our disappointments, our expectations, our rejections, and our anger. So what we want to do is we're on page uh, 127, and we're looking at the uh, exercise titled Positive Ways for Guiding Your Children. And we're going to describe a way to use discipline and basically methods that uh, you're using or, or we're suggesting you use. And it starts off with number one, and I'm just reading what you're reading uh, on the same page. Give reasonable, positive direction and suggestions. Be consistent in giving directions and discipline. Now, now this isn't like a litany where you just read it off and you, because you said it you'll do it. You really have to take each one of these seriously and, and take a look at how you're doing it, how you approach it, and, and what it is that you want to do differently or, or improve on. Um, explain things simply and clearly. Uh, set reasonable limits. Don't, don't set things so that they cannot be achieved thinking, well, they'll grow if I set the bar that much higher. Make, make sure it's reasonable. Do not show them correct ways to do things let them learn. So that it's, it's kind of like, do not show them correct ways to do things. Let them learn. It, th what we're really saying is, don't do it for them. Let them do it themselves. Let them learn from the act of doing. So often, we will say, no, give that to me. <laughs> you know, this is how you do it. No, don't do that. Tell them how it's done and have them show you how they can do it. 
So give as much freedom as possible, as reasonable, as safe. Help the child only when help is needed. Don't overdo. Sometimes we try and make up for, I don't know, what we experienced as a child. Well, my father never did that, so I'm going to do it for my child. And I'm going to do it in a big way. And your big way is like really overkill. And um, that becomes an enormous problem in and of itself because basically now you're saying, I don't believe you could do this. I'm going to do it in a way that's like over-exaggerated so that you get what I didn't get when I was a child. And now they feel that you don't believe that they could do those types of things. That wasn't your intent. But by taking time today and understanding to give them the freedom, okay, and, 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 and it's like saying, give them the freedom to succeed or fail. You'll, you'll be there either way. Catch them doing things right and give them a positive affirmation. Don't run around catching them doing things wrong all the time, thinking you're helping. You're not, okay? You, you, you do want to point out how things can be done differently, but go back to, to number, you know, number four, were your limits you know, reasonable? And number five, did you have a chance to let them show you, from what you explained, how they could do it, all right? So try not to go around finding things that they're doing wrong and correcting them, thinking by correcting them you're being a good parent. That's not true, okay? So give affection. Give it freely and give it with an example of why you're giving it. So in other words, don't hold back affection thinking, well, if I give him affection, he won't continue to try hard. No, that's a cop-out on our part when we do that. It means we're not willing to try hard enough to figure out how can I give this person my affection in a way that they understand the value of the affection to them and how it impacts their self-esteem and feeling of self-worth and the goals that they're trying to achieve. So accept your child for who they are. I never did it that way. Therefore, you shouldn't be doing it that way. Well, guess what? They're not you, and you need to try stop making them you. You're not going to relive your life through the experiences of your child. And if that's what you think good parenting is, you're wrong. That child is an individual. Now, you will be influencing them, hopefully in positive and growth and reaffirming their, 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 their good behaviors, their successful behaviors, their great ways of thinking and you're giving them the freedom to think in a way that but you know you're always setting up kind of like a gutter in a bowling alley you know you're always like capturing the ball so it doesn't just go wandering around the bowling alley floor you know there's a gutter there make sure that you stay in your lane you know so that that's always healthy too so recognize their accomplishments so often they'll come home and they'll say hey um you know, I, I, I was able to talk to Johnny, and Johnny and I talked to this, and then, and you're sitting there thinking, oh, boy, you know, I got to stop by and get groceries. I got to, you know, there's a, there's a left lane coming up that I, that's blocked now, and, you know, you're not even listening. And that's understandable. That's what I was talking about in the beginning of this episode. Life has its ways of getting involved in our life in such a way it interferes with us being a good parent. It's hard to be 24-7 all the time to the needs of a child. Guess what? <laughs> Please, you know, go, go back to number six. Give them as much freedom. If you're giving them freedom, you won't need to be on top of them 24-7. Okay? You'll be managing their acts of free development, free thinking within boundaries. And then redirect undesired behaviors in a positive way. Start to create phrases like, Let's see how we can do that a little differently. What would you think would be better? And give them the opportunity to create their own corrections. So, but they balance that off of their accomplishments that they're recognized for. If all they get is redirection from you, then they're going to stop listening to you. And I don't blame them. If, you're, if you've got a balance of, you know, we, I, I, I heard what they said, so I took the time to say, hey, that must have been really nice that you know you and John had a chance to talk in the cafeteria. How did that make you feel? 
wow, all of a sudden, mom's listening to me. Well, actually, it made me feel like really good. It's kind of like, well, that's a good feeling. Good for you. Well, what'd you just do? You recognize their accomplishment and having a good conversation in the cafeteria. Manage the little things and the big things become better. So give them affirmations on behaviors that are rewarding and build to their repertoire of, I am a good person and I know how to succeed in things. If they think correctly, let them know. It's a very good thought, Bob. And uh, I can see you put a lot into it. Tell me, how did you come about, you know, coming to that conclusion? And then actively listen. You'd be amazed at the quality of the relationship changes when you start to use some of these skills that we're going to go through uh, over the next 40 minutes. Give a choice to the child. Let, let them make decisions. Always give criticism uh, to the child. Always give criticism to the child. Hmm. Do you think that's effective? I don't think so. So let's put an X to that. Don't show them the correct ways to do things. Number five. We put an X to that too. Okay. Always give criticism to the child. No. No, that's not helpful. So, number 14 is expect satisfaction. Expect satisfactory behavior. You should have expectations that they will, you know, satisfy what you want to see. <laughs> that's a bunch of baloney. Let's put an X through that. So give discipline that fits the behavior. Circle that one. That's a yes. So in the ones that we kind of like said yay to and nay to, give reasonable, responsible directions. Yay. Circle it. Be consistent to give directions. Yay. Circle it. Explain things simply and clearly. Yay. Set, set reasonable limits. Yay. Don't show them criticism. Don't show them correct ways of doing things. Let them learn. Eh. Explain to them the correct ways of doing things, and let them show you, yes, but not the way this is written. Give as much freedom as possible. Well, you know, I'd like to extend that sentence to make me feel comfortable with, with guidance and boundaries. I would include to that sentence on number six. Um, help the child only when it is needed. Now, you know, help the child in advance of when it's needed. So I would, I would put an X to that for me personally. Give affection only when it's deserved. Now, give affection freely, okay? Don't, don't make them earn their affection with you. That, that, you know, God doesn't do that with us. Why would you do that with them? It's not a very loving person. And then recognize their accomplishment. Yes, yay. Redirect undesired behaviors in a positive way. Yes, yay. Circle that. Give choices to the child. Let them make some, make them make, make some decisions. Yes, yes. Um, and then be there to help them understand why that was a good decision. Help them to learn how to orient and, and, and tell you this is why that worked out well. Um, and then, you know, the, the, next, the next two. So we're on page 128, the ideal parent. <laughs> oh, boy. I'll tell you what. I don't know that there is an ideal parent, but okay. Let's, let's, let's see what they have to say. Uh, what should parents do when they're angry? Hmm. I don't know. What do you think they should do? Okay, well, let, let's leave that sit there. What effects do parents and personal habits have on their kids? Write it down. How strict should parents be about rules and homework? What's your attitude on that? What should parents do when kids break the rules? Well, you should have a game plan for that, you know, and it should be reasonable, but you write it down. Should parents try to be their kid's best friend? Uh, at times, and at times, most of the times, no. You always have to be a parent first. You can be a friendly parent in a ways that it's appropriate, but you're always going to be a parent. In other words, you're always going to make the best decisions regardless of how they feel about it. It's the best decision for them. So how tough should parents be when a kid is caught stealing? How, how tough should a parent be when a child is caught being cruel. 
uh, how and when should parents say no? Oh, sometimes we say no is the first statement, then later we say yes. That's confusing. Um, what is the most important thing parents can do to be a good parent? Please write that down. And then should parents say and do anything when their kids do something right? Or should right be expected? I, I, it sounds like a, sounds like a confusing question. Should parents say and do anything when their kids do something right? Or should right be expected? I, I personally think that when somebody's doing something right, you let them know that, that that's really good. I'm, I'm glad you're, you know, you, you affirm them, you show them your, your, certainly your support and, and approval. You don't want the child to be constantly seeking your approval. You want the child to be seeking what they are doing is to their best interest and has your approval. But does it require your approval for them to feel if it's the right thing that they're doing and you don't approve, then you have a, a reason for looking more closely at it and having a conversation about that, and that's a healthy conversation. So working parents may have some concerns about their children. I'm on page 129. Identify some concerns of working parents, share them with a group, and make a, a comprehensive list. Okay, now this is kind of in a group session, but you can do it with yourself. And basically, you want to write down, so what concerns you? And then, and then go, does, does a child care provider seem to be friendly? Do you, are you friendly? Do you, do you really like children? Uh, you know, if, if this is somebody that's in child care, do they really like children? Because you're putting this child in, in, their, in their care. Do they feel good about themselves? I mean, do they look like they really like, take care of themselves? Is this person like angry and like, great, your kid's here, let's start the day. You know, and it's like, oh my gosh, what side of the bed did you wake up on? That's going to become your kid's reality, uh, your child's reality, excuse me. So know what children need at different ages, okay? So if this is a general kind of daycare setting and, and your child is uh, three and they're with six-year-olds and, you know, this group is managing everybody the same way, that may not be the right place and setting for them. Does, does the place have an up-to-date license? Does it look clean? Are the rooms inside and outside, you know, children, can they move freely? Um, you know, is it safe? Is the trash picked up? Do they have healthy snacks? These are all red flags or positive, you know, suggestions that things are good here. Um, in child care emergency, your child gets sick at school, the school calls you at work and tells you to come and pick up your child. What, what's your game plan? You are able to work out a one hour, uh, you know, you're able to help your nine-year-old get ready. You hear the radio that the school's been canceled. What do you do? What's your game plan? You know, school is dismissed early. You're notified. What's your game plan? Summer vacations are starting soon. What are they going to be doing with themselves while you're at work? Because now they're, they're at home, they're not at school. So now we're on page 131. You know, w what age can you expect a child to dress themselves, tie their shoes, sleep through the night, be coordinated enough to jump rope, will be willing to share toys, no longer want to be called a baby? Uh, boy, I remember that. Uh, <laughs> amazing, amazing at age 65, I'd remember that with such a statement of emotion. Um, Enjoy uh, collecting things, not not want a favor story read over and over again. Kind <laughs> of like, hey, Dad, let's change it up here. You know, cat in a hat can only go so far. <laughs> Green eggs and ham, come on. Um, so follow a list spoke with spoken directions. Uh, you know, these are your expectations. You know, check in and make sure that your expectations are age appropriate. Take this list. And answer it. You know, get a professional if you need to, or go on Google and just type in these questions and see what the professional suggests. But don't not know them, okay? This whole section, this whole episode, is about you knowing this, not, not sitting there thinking, well, I don't know. <laughs> Next, let's move on. 
Now, you know, we just asked the question for a reason. It's not sitting here so that we could just go through a litany. You know, this isn't a prayer. We, we, we want you to address each one individually. Okay, and I know you will. So let's look at, uh, as we move into page 133, what, what does a positive attitude have to do with parenting? Well, it seems to me when, when in uh, my mental health coaching experience with, uh, with parents that are dealing with substance use disorders, uh, that, that negativity tends to feed on itself. And then the children start to understand the negativity as being, this is the norm now. They're used to this. You're, you're responding in a negative way to everything now. And unless you pull yourself out of that, their world will, will then become that. And they will, you know, like mirror that. And it'll make it a habit. And then all of a sudden, you've got behavior problems. And you're sitting there thinking, well, why does he act like this? Well, you know, maybe because when you talked to him the other day, you were a little bit of a jerk about it. And, and you weren't kind at all. And they saw it that way. And you sit there and think, well, you can't think that your parents are jerk. Oh, yes. They can think that, especially the older they get. And if you are one, then you are one. So we have a responsibility to understand our attitude as an inventory, not as a, well, I feel this way today. You know, no. I mean, that, you're taking this episode for a reason. You're trying to strengthen and build yourself. The fact is, we need for you to have an attitude inventory. So let's go through uh, 133 with these 19 questions. Do you make new friends easily? Do you, you know, these, these, are, these are statements about how your attitude is towards other people in situations. Do you, do you try hard not to complain? Are you careful not to put, not to interrupt when other people are speaking? Boy, I tell you what, I have a problem with that. I don't understand what my personality flies on that. But I, I do that, and when I do it, I feel really like that was wrong of me. Anyhow, enough about me. Can you, can you be optimistic when others around you are depressed? Do you try not to boast or brag? Do you control your temper? Are you genuinely interested in other person's point of view? I mean, are you? Are, are you listening? Do you care? You know, are you just the type of person that just, oh, I'm here, you know, you're talking to me. Because uh, if you do that, and that's your attitude, then I guarantee you that's your attitude with your children as a parent. So that's why you're taking this inventory. The, the, these things are not like, oh my God, you're a bad person because you did this, this, and this. These are listed here so you can take a look at them and determine, you know, you know, yes, always, unsure, no, never. You know, this is a scale, and you'll see that on page 133. It's not a do you or don't you, good boy, bad boy. Um, do you speak well of others? Do you keep the same friends for years? Do you feel well most of the time? Do you refrain from using language that could be offensive to others? Um, boy, I'll tell you what, I was on the phone the other day, and this, this lady, every word out of her mouth was just, it was, it was painful to listen to how much she swore. And all I could think of is, oh, I hope you don't use that you know, attitude when you're around your children. And my thought is, I mean, let's face it, reading this inventory attitude list on 133, the, the likelihood that you are is very high. So do, do you try to be helpful with others? Are you organized and keep up? You know, do, 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 you, do you keep up with your or, being organized? Or is it just kind of a, well, it's winter, therefore I'm getting ready for winter, therefore I'm going to get organized. Um, do, do you get along well with your parents and siblings? Do you admit your mistakes? Can you be a leader without being bossy? And is it easy for you to like people that are near you? So that inventory goes on. And as opposed to me reading all 52, 55 of these, I'll leave that to you to do. But that's how delineated it is. Now, there's a key to scoring. And if you scored because each of your responses next to the number gives you a weighted average. So if you said always, that's a five, yes is a four, Three is unsure, two is no, and one is never. So after you finish scoring next to the number for that particular question, all of these, you'll, 
you'll actually end up with a rate you're added to. And if it's from 200 to 275, uh, you're, good. you're too good to be true. <laughs> I can see the person that wrote this assessment had a sense of humor. Uh, from 200 to 249, your attitude towards others is very good. And from 199 to 150, uh, your attitude needs improvement. So what you would do is you would take this attitude uh, um, uh, inventory and, and meet with a family therapist and just see if there are some areas that you, know, you might want to modify just so that you could be a better parent. Um, I, I want you to look at family therapy as being a check-in, check-out. You're a consumer. Okay, you don't go in there, lay on a couch and for seven years, tell them every little bit about your life every day. Uh, go in there with the idea that, you know, there's certain parts of me um, that from my own assessments or by listening to these episodes or by um, taking our uh, TV production, Fentanyl and Families in Harm's Way, with the 32 learning series uh, for families dealing with substance use disorders, you're going to find things like enabling. There's 10 types uh, in that seminar for that series. And um, it may be that you need to talk with a therapist, check in, get that accomplished, and then check out and go on with your life and use the tools that you were given. Um, because family therapy now is modeled in such a way with Bowen family therapy, multi-system family therapy, uh, multi-dimensional family therapy, that you can now do that, and it's extremely effective. So what I'm suggesting is, you know, typically you wouldn't be in sessions for more than 12 sessions with a therapist if it's a good therapist and you were a good patient and you both were working in unison towards an idea of something that you wanted to um, improve on. So that, being, that little sidebar being said, we're on page 136, and we're understanding our attitudes. And, and since you've been practicing this like self-awareness, you probably know some situations that are linked to your feelings and attitudes. I feel angry when, and this is 136, page 136, I'm excited about, I'm afraid of, I feel guilty about, I feel like when, da-da-da-da-da, I worry about. I feel happy when, I get depressed when, I feel relaxed when, and I feel proud of. Take the time to answer those, those 10 questions. You'll, you'll have a better understanding of your attitudes when you do. And that's why the uh, writers of this uh, manual for reentry has put this in there. It's very good practice as a positive uh, attitude exercise. So let's, let's look at page 137 on, on positive attitudes, and, and we'll, we'll start to understand that attitudes are emotions, emotions are thoughts, thoughts are behavior, emotions and thoughts, and then attitudes. So behavior creates emotions because of the expectation of the behavior and what happened. We now have a new emotion about that, which means we have a new set of thoughts about that, which goes back to our attitudes. So could you see that your attitude towards something drives a lot of what you feel about and what you think about and how you behave. So we're really helping you. And, I, and I'm sure that incarceration, your attitude needs to be a lot different when you're now out and back in your life. You need to be aware of that. The family can support you in helping them Okay, helping this person to accountably understand their attitude. People often had said, you got a bad attitude about that, and you could take it out the door because I don't want it. Well, that's true, because with that attitude, you are conveying emotions, and you're asking me in this dialogue and this interchange of communicating to accept your emotions. And my thought is, I don't want that. So... Because I know that if I take on that, that, that emotion, I will behave differently. See how this all works together? So if you're coming out from incarceration and you're keeping that same like mojo, you're going to ruin everything you touch. You need to get rid of that. And you need to do an inventory of your attitudes. And hopefully your family members have done an inventory of their attitudes. Can you imagine how copacetically this would all work? If everybody got together and poured themselves into this, uh, into this manual and really gave each section its due time uh, to develop themselves. 
So then you get to 138. You know, it's nice to know about an inventory of your attitudes. It's nice to know how your attitudes are behaving in terms of understanding them. Uh, I'm excited about, I'm afraid of, that list on 136. And then when on 137, we start to see how attitudes are a chain of things that happen. But none of this is worth anything if you're not going to do something about it. So (laughs) introduce page 138, and we're going to take charge. We're going to make a list of ways we can reduce our negative attitude, emotions, thoughts, and behaviors. And then we're going to drop down and we're going to say, what is the relationship between negative attitude and physical and emotional health? And then do your family members respond the same way you do to difficult situations? Do you think this is caused by the way that things were always done in this family system? Okay. And what, what do you think the relationship is between emotions and your attitude? Come on. Let's get our eyes around this. This is really big. If you're going to move forward with your life, if your family members are going to be involved in how you move forward in your life, if your family members are going to have expectations and emotions and pay attention to their behaviors in terms of the environment that the two of you are creating, then you need to understand your attitudes. So, that being said, we're going to now move into the next segment of this, and that is communication. And now we're going back to the idea that we were originally talking about parenting. (laughs) Yeah, didn't the child get lost in that discussion? Well, honestly, until you get it right, your parenting skills are not going to get it right. If you get your attitude right, wow, you know. If you understand your attitude in the way that we just described it in these practical exercises, you're going to do much better. And that's what we're doing this for. So when we start to talk about forms of communication, let's take a look at page 140. How much time do you spend on a 24-hour day listening? How much do you spend speaking? How much do you spend reading or typing out on the computer? We'll call that writing. And, and then that's, a, that's the total of a day. So would you have the same percentages if you were in a new situation? I, I would argue yes, you would. And then, so what would your percentages be like if it was the first day on the job? Would you be listening, speaking, reading, and writing differently as a percentage? What would your, what would your percentages be if you were in the first day of being a new parent. Oh, yeah. So what we're experiencing kind of like changes the percentages of what we are actually, you know, um, doing. The environment actually helps us to practice or do listening, speaking, reading, and, and, and writing. So... If you find that you're spending all of your time surfing the internet on your cell phone, then put that down as your percentage. And, and I would ask you to take a closer look at that idea because that's not going to be healthy in anybody's situation. We should not be spending all of our time while we're walking with our child on the cell phone. I can't tell you how many times I see a little kid looking up at, his, at their mother and father and they're on the cell phone. It's like, are you kidding me? Are you in this game or aren't you? And you might sit there and say, hey, Roy, slow down here. Time out. Who are you to judge them? You're right. And they didn't ask me anyhow. But the fact is, they're still on the cell phone, and that child is still looking up at them and wanting their you know, participation. So with that in mind, be careful with how much time you spend on your cell phone when you're around your children. You're making a statement that whatever's on that cell phone is much more important than they are. And that will impact their self-esteem. So nonverbal communication. Do you make eye contact? Do you assume a pleasant facial expression? I've seen some people that smile, and I immediately inside myself start smiling with them. Um, Do you sit up straight, lean forward? Oh, by the way, that that makes me kind of want to sit up straight right now. Don't slouch. Don't put your feet up. 
Don't smack and crack your gum chewing. Don't sigh loudly. <sighs> Reuben, a teacher's aide, was attending a staff meeting at the child center. The director had been speaking for 15 minutes about the center plan to reorganize at the play area. Reuben was interested about the plan and was eager to get to work, but he felt the director was wasting time and explaining and justifying every step of the plan. Reuben slouched lower in his seat. He put one feet up on the empty chair. He examined his fingernails and began cleaning them with a nail file. <laughs> I don't think people do that anymore, but if they did, well, that would be a real statement uh, on his keychain. As the director continued to talk, he looked at his watch and raised his eyebrows slightly loud, uh, sighed loudly. What nonverbal signals did Ruben send? Well, you know, I mean, <laughs> given this example, I don't think it'd be hard to take it apart, but uh, how do you think the director interpreted the nonverbal signals? This is your child. Make no mistake about it. You could change how this scenario was presented, but it could be a positive thing, it could be a negative thing, it could be a neutral thing, okay? But it's one of the three. It's never just nothing. Your presence in front of your children are never just nothing. They're either neutral, they're either positive, or they're negative. One of the three. So did Ruben's nonverbal communication really reflect how he felt about the project? Well, that was the irony. Does your behavior really reflect how much you love your child? Well, many times yes, sometimes no, sometimes indifferent, you know, you know neither, neither yes nor no. So when we're starting to look at nonverbal communications, the way we communicate is, is very important, is what we're trying to point out here. And the way that we speak, uh, that's on page 142, the way that we speak on 143 and listen has a lot to do with that too. So it's kind of like, well, Roy, you know, you're, you're taking us apart here, limb by limb, piece by piece. It's like, yes, we are. We're talking about you being a parent. The thought is that you'd like to be a good parent, the best parent that you feel, you know, you're comfortable in, in striving to be. With that in mind, you have to know what to do. And that's why in these pages, uh, we're now on 144 on communicate. You know, do, 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 do you communicate effectively? Are you a passive communicator? Are you an assertive communicator? Or are you an aggressive communicator? It's important to know. Can you be one, one part of the day and another part of the day? One in this situation, another in that situation? Absolutely. So on page 145, we're going to give you that information so that you can learn it. And then passively or assertive or aggressive communication, a situation and, and the way you respond is on 146. So take the time to go through that and understand what kind of communication style am I using when it is that I'm, you know, addressing my child? And uh, does, it, does it suitable for what I'm trying to communicate, how I feel, the emotions I'm sharing with them? It's, is it at the appropriate level? So communication is really important in terms of having, you know, good life skills and being a parent. Having an understanding of your attitude is really important. Can you kind of see how this all folds together? And then, but, you know, we're talking about being a parent. I wonder if we could uh, kind of like e expand that and say, wouldn't this be good just as a person, a friend? Could you use the same, you know, communication, uh, awareness, you know, in terms of how you communicate? Um, could you use the same as, uh, you know, aggressive, passive, or assertive? Could you use the same attitude inventory if we were just not saying that you're a parent but in a, in a good relationship? Yes, absolutely. And when you're coming out of incarceration, you had to have a completely different demeanor than this. So you need to regain yourself, the true you. And your family can help you do that by regaining themselves and by participating in this workbook together, you'll be able to do the practical exercises that will hopefully gain you, um, you know, kind of like some inertia towards that. So 
put a check mark in how you make decisions and how you decide things. And you put a check mark in the ways you've used to make decisions. We want to know how you kind of approach the decision. Uh, in terms of fate, it'll work out somehow. In terms of let someone else decide. I'll let someone else make this decision. Now this is how you decide things. I'll put it off. I'll, I'll think about this later. Be impulsive. I'll take the first alternative that comes up. It's, it's impulsive. You know, you're not waiting out. You're, you're being impulsive. You're, you're jumping on the first thing. Do nothing. I'll ignore this completely. Be intuitive. I'll do what feels right. Um, and be sensible. I'll take the most sensible solution and ignore my feelings. Or go with my head and my gut, my heart. I'll weigh out my emotions and listen to my intuition. You circle the ones that you think you use most often on page 148. And then in which way does this person give up their freedom to decide? You acquiesce your decision making to somebody else. You hand it over. Because that's not making a decision. That's letting time or fate or, you know, others make a decision. And you need to be aware when you do that and why. Because maybe it's the right thing to do. But at least you're making the decision that you've decided that this is what you're going to do in this situation. And you're doing it with awareness and you're cognitive of it. So collecting your thoughts on 149. Uh, would, would you share, you know, think, think through a situation where you might change your mind. Answer the following questions on page 149. Would you share your head for $10 right now? Excuse me. Would you shave your head, share your head? <laughs> when I said it, I thought that really sounded weird. Uh, would you shave your head for $10 right now? Would you shave your head for $100 right now? Um, are you, are you a happy person? Okay. What are your thoughts? Should school meet on Saturdays? Would you lie to your best friend to avoid hurting their feelings? Would you trade places with the president for a week? Are girls more sensitive than boys? Now, take, take some time to think first before you answer these questions. Your friend is going on vacation and you're house-sitting for them. Your negligence causes their dog to get hit by a car and killed. Yes. Do, do you call them and tell them? I mean, considering that they're on vacation. You know? What's your decision? Your niece comes to you crying and asks if it's true that there is no Santa Claus. Uh-oh. How do you respond? Your five-year-old has been invited to a sleepover at a home of one of their friends. You don't know her and you don't want her to go. What do you tell her? Your boss yelled at you in front of customers. You didn't make the mistake, but you know which coworker did. What will you do? What are your thoughts? How do you make decisions? You know? And 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 in a sense you make decisions based on your values, based on your attitudes, based on who you are. We make decisions because we've gathered information, hopefully, and we've gone to a primary source, meaning this is where it happened and this is the person who saw it happen. A secondary source. This is uh, what research tells me should have happened or... I heard it from a second person, but now they have a bias and they told me what happened. Then the third information gathering is your gut. Trust your gut. Because that's often when the Holy Spirit talks to us. So we take all of this into account and we, we tend to look at our decision and say, this is how I think you know I'm going to respond. So in this uh, 150, uh, you're at, there, there's a, an example of a NASA 
uh, space and, and, and rank, and they're asking you to um, rank in the column the importance of how important is this for the person you know, that's experiencing this uh, paragraph and explanation. I'll let you go through that yourself rather than uh, taking time to do that here. So decisions, decisions, decisions. When do I get up in the morning? Uh, uh, what do I eat for lunch? Where do I go to work? What, what car to buy? How to spend your, your paycheck? You know, you know, basically, not all decisions need as much thought as others. Some are automatic. Others require serious thought. And, and you might be sitting there thinking, Roy, we were talking about parenting. And um, you're spending all this time on decisions that, that we're making internally. That's right. And communication and attitudes, and, and how well you know, your emotions are impacted by your behavior, are impacted by your thoughts. Yeah, fooled you, didn't I? <laughs> you thought this was gonna be about parenting, and it turned out to be about you. But that's what parenting is. How well do you conduct yourself? How well do you know yourself? How well are you in control of yourself? Do you understand how you communicate? Do you understand how your behaviors affect your thoughts, which affect your emotions, and how the three are interconnected? Because it's the same for your children as you are the example to them. They then reflect back to you. You don't like what you're seeing in them? I'm not saying it's definite, but a part of that might be how you have reflected to them. They are reflecting to you. So we do want to have kind of a self-examination. But there's something that always tends to get in the way when we're talking about attitudes and communications and decision-making. It's kind of like this, this thing that hangs out there. It's a cloud with a, you know, violent thunder and lightning coming out, but it's in the distance. And we're looking at it, and it's anger. When you throw anger into the mix that we just described, while you are a parent, all things go to hell in a handbasket. Pardon my French. But the fact is, things go wrong. And you'll want to understand what role anger plays. And if that's the case, it's really important. I allow certain people to make me angry more than others. True or false? My skills for dealing with anger and frustration need work. True or false? My anger and frustration, and I'm on page 153, my anger and frustration is really an expression of my unmet needs. And then you go down this list. And then you circle the symptoms that these tend to, you know, exasperate. You know, I get tense muscles when I'm angry. I grind my teeth. I glare. I... I chills, I, I loss of self-control, I just get out of control. And, and then, you know, you, you, you want to understand you know, which of these are taking place for you so that you can understand the physical side of how you represent anger comes through to you. Because you're communicating with yourself. In anger, we communicate to ourselves. And just so you know, if you get into an anger management class, you're going to find that a lot of anger is based around fear and frustration on how you manage your fear. So if you want to know, why am I so angry? You might want to sit there and say, and talk to a therapist about this so you can develop this coping skill. But you might want to say off the bat, what am I so fearful of? What do I fear that I can't control or that might happen to me? And then you might start to say, because they use this in um, a post-traumatic stress disorder. And then you might sit there and say, is that realistic? You slow, you slow your thought process down, in other words. So, and that's how you handle conflicts, is, is, you know, a lot of different ways to handle conflicts. <laughs> you know, flipping a coin, uh, split the difference, laugh it off. But, you know, the, the question is, what way are you using? And because when you're talking about raising children, it has a lot to do with conflict management. So I'm hopeful because this is just the beginning of the categories that you're experiencing, that you're going to then say, okay, what do I need to know about being a good parent? Your attitude? Go learn more about it. This is just the beginning. The way you communicate? 
just the beginning. Learn more about it. In what situations do you use certain styles of communicating? How well are you at communicating? Your ability to make decisions, you are rapidly as a parent making decisions. And then how you handle conflict. Do you see it? We just told you the key areas that you need to look more closely at in order to become a better parent. Now, I'm not saying you're not a good parent now. And I'm not saying, oh, well, there's no room for improvement. <laughs> I am the best parent I could possibly be. Uh, be careful with that, you know. <laughs> Maybe narcissistic therapy might be the choice of, of, of modalities. Just kidding. But with that in mind, I want to thank you for taking the time to review with us these key characteristics of being a parent. Now go and meet with a family therapist to identify, because these all have assessment, diagnoses, opportunities to grow, and, 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 or go online and look at some YouTubes that are professionally delivered on each of these topics and drill down on them and, and understand when you do this, you're being vulnerable. Uh, you, and for that reason, you may just do it with yourself and not with your partner, you know, your, your spouse. But the fact is, do it for yourself for the purpose of just being a better you. When you're a better you and you're game on, your kids will benefit from that enormously. And I want to thank you for taking the time of uh, viewing and hearing our episode on parenting and the voice of families in addiction. My name again is Roy Poyan. I'm a chemical dependency counselor assistant and a certified mental health coach and the director of Families Impacted by Opioids. And you can find us on familiesimpactedbyopioids.com, familiesimpactedbyopioids at gmail.com if you'd like to email us. Or I'd welcome your call at 440-385-7605. Stand up for yourself, and I'll back you up. These problems don't solve themselves. I'll tell you what, instead of would or could, I think you should. Draw a line in the sand and stand your ground. It's for your own good.